You're listening to the Unapologetically Alive podcast. Lifestyle empowerment coach Tonya Noland will help you discover how you can start living more boldly, authentically, and without regrets by building a lifestyle based around your passions and purpose. It's time to define what success means to you, push fear aside, and celebrate who you really are by being unapologetically you. Welcome to the podcast today, everybody. We have my good friend and uprising comedian, Brie Badilly, on the podcast. And I wanted to bring her on here because she has a really inspiring story about what it's like to pursue your passions outside of your day job and how to make that work for you. First things first, I want to know, what are you sipping on right now? I have a good old Heineken. (laughs) Solid. Yeah. (laughs) Well, awesome. So as I kind of mentioned to everybody, I wanted to dive into a little bit about what makes Brie, Brie. And you can pick a couple of adjectives that just describe you, your personality, your outlook on how you approach life, just to get people familiar with who you are and what you're about. Yeah, um, I think that one of the words that would describe me, especially over the last several years is flexible. I think that at a younger age, I really had this boxed-in idea of the type of person that I wanted to become and what that looked like, but um, just through more experiences and the way that I, I want to live life, I think that I'm, I'm more flexible with the experiences that I have. I think another word would be tenacious. I never let a setback you know, interfere with me moving forward. I actually have, uh, and you know this, a phoenix tattoo on my thigh, and that symbolizes never survive, always thrive. So every time there's a setback, just taking that and making it your stepping off point into the next chapter. Awesome. Yeah, that's huge. It's funny that you said tenacious because that was the word I actually picked as my theme for 2020. So I love it. On the same page. I always love to ask this too, is, you know, if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, anyone dead or alive, who would they be and why? Uh, well, one of my idols is definitely Ali Wong, for obvious reasons. She's a real famous comedian. And like myself, she is an Asian American woman. Uh, we also have the same glasses. So I always make fun of myself when people ask me what my favorite comedian is because we have a similar aesthetic, but (laughs) I just love her and her outlook on life and her comedy is really relatable and she just really is authentic to who she is. Yeah, totally. What inspired you to originally start doing comedy? Yeah, so um, I've always loved being a storyteller. So I went to school to be a journalist, actually, because I've always written a lot. I've been a poet and I have a couple of short stories too. Um, And I've always really loved the way that comedy can take the sad or uncomfortable moments in our lives and turn them into something fun and encouraging and unifying. So when I moved back to the Seattle area, I followed the local scene pretty closely and I met a girl who just said, if you're interested in it, go to an open mic. If you bomb, nobody's going to remember you. If you do well, nobody's going to remember you. You can decide if you want to keep doing it. So I did an open mic that week, 
and I did well enough to get on a showcase and just kind of kept going from there. Awesome. So what was that first experience like doing comedy? Had you done it before? Was this your first time getting up in front of people and showcasing your humor and just presenting yourself to the audience in that way? Yeah. So actually, the first time I ever did comedy was 10 years ago at Gonzaga. There was an open mic night at the student center, and I decided to throw my hat into the ring. And it was a really cool experience, but I was... 20 years old at the time, so A, I just didn't really have much perspective or experiences to draw off of, Uh, and at that time, it was more of a a bucket list item that I wanted to achieve, so I did it, and then it was kind of like, okay, well, I did that, that's a bucket list item checked off, I never have to do it again, (laughs) but then, uh, like I said, after... 10 years, I still kept writing in my notebook little premises or jokes or things that I thought were funny. So I, I, by the time I was ready to get back on stage that night, I already had a pretty good set of jokes that I wanted to talk about. But it was very, very scary to get back on stage. I am notorious for having anxiety. I've had anxiety my entire life. Yeah. Particularly performance anxiety. And it just was something I really wanted to do, but it was still really hard to get up on there. Yeah. Well, and so now that you've, you know, really kind of shared the anxiety piece and, you know, continuing doing this, it wasn't obviously a one-time deal just getting back up on there. What have you found useful in combating and overcoming the anxiety to keep doing the comedy? So uh, a big piece of it is passion and the fact that I do make people laugh. I've gotten booked on a lot of things, even just a year in, and it's always hard to get on stage, but once you're on stage and then once you're off stage, it always feels really good. Self-talk is really something that I've had to to master to get myself to do something that I want to accomplish, but also recently I've started seeing a therapist again, and she's just given me a lot of physical tools to combat the anxiety like breathing techniques and even some pseudo uh, acupuncture techniques. And what I mean by pseudo is using your fingers and, and pressing the pressure points, particularly on your face. And it seems to have worked. So yeah, definitely has been a good experience to the therapist again. That's awesome. I think at least for me too, I always get a little bit of anxiety before doing a free discovery call with a client and such because it's just that time you have to make an impression can either make or break it. And I know probably for you and I, it's very similar. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do our best and show up in a way that it's memorable and it sticks with people and resonates to continue doing what we love. Yeah, and it's also pretty nerve-wracking because, especially in comedy, you only have three minutes to do so, so you you really can't have any fat when you get up there. You have to know what you're going to say, you have to nail it, and for some people, that's going to be their only impression of you forever, and for the rest of those people, it's their first impression of you at least, so it's a very short amount of time to make the most impact. Totally. Have you been doing anything personally or or in a professional sense with other comedians to practice and hone your craft? Or is it just being able to get up, fail forward, do it over and over and perfect it as you go? It's a mix of those things. The Seattle comedy community particularly is 
very supportive of people. We like to tell each other tags that we've thought of while they're on stage or, hey, have you thought about putting this premise in your joke? There are writing groups that you can attend every now and again. I've made a lot of friends in general in the comedy community, so hanging out outside of comedy and just talking about things that we think about or the trials and tribulations of being on stage, trying to get booked, doing the quote-unquote grind. But also, yeah, just getting up there. I think that's the biggest thing is getting up and doing it and failing and learning from it. It's important to record yourself in some sort of manner for that reason, whether that's video, which is the best way to do it because we're also using our body language when we're on stage, and that's a big communication technique that we need to learn what our idiosyncrasies are when we're nervous. But then also you could record yourself on a, an audio recording to see your inflections or how the crowd reacting in that platform too. Yeah, I know, at least for me, one of my biggest things I always avoided was listening to my voice recorded. And when I started this podcast, I knew I was going to have to listen to my voice recorded a lot. And I think it's just funny how after doing it, like you said, over and over again, your perspective shifts on even your self-talk just because it's something that's part of what you're doing and part of your craft, just having to get over that uncomfortable feeling of listening and criticizing yourself. Yeah, and it is important to see the negatives so you can adjust them appropriately. But a major psychological trick that you can do for yourself is focusing on the good part. What did you do well in that time frame? Or say you're having body image issues, looking in the mirror and instead of focusing on the things that you want to change about your body, focus on the things that you really like about your body. And it's insane how effective that is at changing your mindset about you as a person. So true. What are some things that you have personally noticed when watching yourself on video and, you know, appreciating the good things, but also taking the bad as a part of it and learning how to adjust and pivot from there? And it's difficult because I think you mentioned just a minute ago that we are our own worst critic. Mm-hmm. So I personally can see how nervous I am on certain videos. But people have told me that they have never thought that I seemed nervous on stage. So that doesn't apparently translate over to them. But also when I first started doing comedy, something that I noticed I was doing when I recorded myself was way too large of hand movements that it looked awkward. But that was how I got over the anxiety that was building up inside of me. Mm-hmm. Well, after doing it for a while and knowing consciously that I was doing that, I was able to calm down a little bit on that aspect of it. In terms of what I like, I really do have a good stage presence. I am one of the only comedians that really uses the entire stage. A lot of comedians will stand there or sit on the stool that's provided, but I really like to walk around. And again, that goes back to having anxiety. So I need to be moving around to get that that anxious feeling outside of me. But when it comes across, it seems just a performance piece. 
So true, because I do that too. And I don't remember where I heard this or learned this. But when I think I was working with a mentor years ago, they said, if you know, you're ever nervous, one thing you can do to naturally energize your voice is to stand up and walk around and to do it. So it's quiet, but it moves, you know, your diaphragm and also just naturally moving yourself. So it's interesting that you say you're one of the few comedians that does that on the stage to combat your own anxiety, but also I think breathe life into your act and how you deliver. Yeah, and honestly, that came from taking a speech class in college, because I gave a speech one time, and the professor said, it's too bad that you had to be behind that podium, because you have a lot of nervous energy that I think would be helped by you walking around getting that out. And years later, I'm a performer, and I'm using that speech class lesson. Wouldn't that professor like to know where you are now? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they really want to. I don't even remember her name, but I do remember that lesson that she gave to me. That is awesome. I love it. That plays really well into my next question, which was knowing a little bit about what you feel makes your comedic style unique and authentic to who you are, what your life experiences are, uh, besides like utilizing the stage and walking around to move the energy and, you know, move through any anxiety. What are other aspects of your style that make you feel unique and that you see not other people doing perhaps? Personally, I, I try to only draw from my own experiences and also my thought process too. So sometimes what I'm saying isn't necessarily a story. It's a thought that I've had. One of the club owners here, he's given me this compliment many times, which is you talk about things that are real. A lot of young particularly male comedians, will use a tactic of making stuff up. And you can see it. You can tell that it's fake. You can feel that it's fake. And a lot of times the continuity just doesn't fit. For example, there was a young male comedian a joke a while ago, and he comes out on stage and he starts by saying that he's engaged. And then maybe two jokes later, he makes a joke about girls ghosting him. And I don't know if everybody notices those things, but I certainly do. And it takes away from the five minutes that you have going up on stage. And I think that it's important to say things that are true to you because that's how people are going to resonate with your joke. And that's what comedy is all about is relatability. Yeah, totally. Just the continuity of that story just doesn't play well. And I've heard at least a lot of comedians say it helps them process some of their life to bring it to the forefront and almost talk about it in a therapeutic way, if you know anything else. Yeah, no, and it, it is. And I mentioned earlier how comedy takes some of the saddest moments in your life and it brings it into the light. And that's true because you're talking about something that everybody else tries to sweep under the rug. They don't want anybody to know this happened to them. They don't want anybody to know that they've had this weird thought, but then they hear you say it and you're somebody that's on stage and you have authority in their mind and this has happened to you and you've kind of taken it back as an experience that is fun and unique and something to learn from. And that helps the audience, but it also helps you as a person say, hey, this bad thing happened to me or this embarrassing thing happened to me, but now it's art. Now it's something funny. <laughs> that other people can enjoy and relate to. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, that totally makes sense. Therapeutic and also creative to channel that in a way. Yeah. One thing I would love to know too is, you know, one of the biggest things or the takeaways that you've had or learned since immersing yourself in this new world of comedy, because you've been doing it for how long now? A year. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest things that you've realized since being in that type of environment? Yeah, I would say two things. The first is whatever it is, just try it. You'll never know what you are and what you are not capable of until you push the limits on the narrative you've constructed for yourself. I always thought that I couldn't be a performer because of my anxiety, but once I tried it, I realized this was something that I really wanted to do, and that's opened me up to trying a lot of other things that scare me too, or things that I've said aren't for me, that I just can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. So it's been really great. The second thing I would say is that Everything is temporary, for better or for worse. So whether you had a killer set or you bombed, really, it's a drop in the bucket. And you can't dwell on it if it's if it was a good set. You can't just rest on your laurels for that set. If it was a bad set, you can't dwell on it and let it affect your next set. Just do it, learn from it, and, and move the frick on. Yeah, totally. I mean, life's too short not to. Yeah. Since you work a day job and you pursue comedy at night, where do you see yourself going in the comedic world? What are some of your goals and where you see yourself in the next one, two, even three years? I I think with comedy and in life in general, it's always about the next goal and not the ultimate goal. So I really haven't thought too much too far ahead. My next goal is definitely to headline, to start headlining some places because I have mostly hosted. So there's a, those are some uh, shorter sets. And I've done a couple of feature sets as well. But headlining is when you're going to really start making the money. And then you start to travel, like you get to start traveling to do your comedy, and then you make consistent money doing that. So we'll see what long term looks like. But short term is just to keep growing as a comedian and hitting those those shorter term goals, really. And so for you, this kind of, I guess, ties into some more of your like long-term goals, which you may or may not have thought about, but I feel like everybody does have at least in the moment, a generalized idea of what success looks like or means to them today in this moment. What does that mean for you? Success, it comes in a, in a couple of different ways. The first is extremely short term, which is getting up on stage and making people laugh. A little bit longer term success is just getting booked on things. I think that something that a lot of people don't realize, and especially comedians that have recently started in the scene, is that it's a pretty competitive market. Everybody wants to play comedy. Everybody thinks that they're a comedian and can do it. So there are a lot of people out here every single night. There are even open mics where you're not going to get up, you get bumped because there's so many people who want to do it. Yeah, longer term is, is getting booked and your talent recognized for the stage that you're at. Totally. Getting out there and taking bigger gigs that you may would have not seen in your hometown. Yeah, but I, I do think that the biggest thing right now is the shorter term, making people laugh, getting on stage and just feeling good about a joke that you 
created. And I have a lot of jokes that I still do that I wrote when I first started doing comedy, but they've all grown and transformed into something different. And it just feels really good when you finally figure a joke out because you'll write down something that may be funny to you, but then you have to figure out how to actually write a joke out of it. And you'll write a joke, you'll say it on stage. It might get some chuckles. It might not get any. It's probably not going to kill the first time. Right. You have to take that nugget back and write it and rewrite it write it and rewrite it and do it on stage differently to figure out what portions of this are actually funny to multiple people, multiple audience sets, and uh, that's your actual joke. And it feels really good when you finally figure out the joke. Yeah, makes me think of watching The Marvelous Miss Maisel and just seeing how things land on different audiences or don't. It's always a work in progress, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And one episode that I always think is really funny was one of the more recent episodes, and it was when she was in Vegas, and she started talking about Bergdorf's or something that's in New York, and she's trying to make a joke, and nobody understands because they're in Vegas, and she gets off stage, and the one guy says to her, hey, you're not in New York anymore. Nobody's going to understand regional jokes, and that's one of the things in Mrs. Mangle that's actually very accurate is that you can do Seattle jokes all day long in Seattle, but that better be a small portion of your act because if you ever go to Atlanta, they're not going to understand those jokes. <laughs> exactly. So true. And I know you've shared experiences with me where even you're, you know, in the audience after doing your set or before your set and you just see how the joke doesn't land or how unwell received it is and can set off people in the audience too. And it's definitely just knowing your audience and knowing how to tailor it, not relying on just the one set, as you were saying, or the one topic. Yeah, it's important to read the audience and have diversity. But we also as comedians have to figure out how to toe the line between tailoring and pandering. Because it is important as an artist to be true to who you are and tell the jokes that you think are funny. But we also are performers, so it's our job to make the audience laugh. So there is a very fine line between those two things. Yeah. What's one of the, the best or most flattering compliments you've received since being on stage as a comedian? Well, I think just going back to the fact that people don't think that I'm nervous when I'm up there. Several times that I look very natural when I'm up on stage, which is always a shock to me because it feels like the most unnatural thing I've ever done. Even though I love it, it just, it takes a lot to do it for me. And in addition to that, people will often tell me that they had no idea I was only doing it for a year. They think that I've done it for much longer than that. And that always is a really good compliment for me. Yeah, it just goes back to showing how natural it feels to the people watching. Yeah, and of course, there it always feels good when somebody specifically compliments your your joke, a specific joke that you've done, because it means that it really landed on them and they remember you, because often it'll be at the end of the set or the show where they've seen a couple of other comedians and they'll come up to you and say a specific joke you did and that they liked it and it's stuck with them. And that's really great. Yeah, that's huge. And so, you know, I know you said it takes a lot of 
not willpower, but it takes a lot for you to get up there to work against your anxiety with the tools you've been given through even going and seeing a therapist. But what else helps energize you and bring you excitement to get on the stage? Honestly, a big thing that makes me keep going back to especially open mics is, again, the the community that is there, because there is a, a point of time before the mic and in between people sets and then even afterwards that you're just hanging around and it's just a it's a good social time to hang out with other comedians and hear what's going on in their lives so that gets me energized to actually go to comedy on on a lot of nights I love it community is a big a big piece of it I'm sure yeah and so since the podcast is essentially called unapologetically alive I would love to hear your take on that and what living unapologetically means for you. Yeah, I think to put it shortly, it's living authentically, living how you feel is your true self. Life is just too short to stifle yourself, to fit yourself into a box that you think society wants you to fit into. You can you can be a little bit of this, you can be a little bit of that. You don't have to commit to being one identity or another. That can be your identity is that you have a lot of things that you're interested in. Right. I had a boss that told me people are gonna hate you, people are gonna love you, no matter what you do. So you might as well just do whatever it is that puts you in the camp of people who love you and helps you love yourself independent of people's opinion of you oh that's so true i feel like as we've got at least i've gotten older i care less and less about what other people think because their opinions are not bigger than what i'm trying to create and i feel like that just really gets hearkened to what you just said too yeah so for people listening who are like struggling for their own reasons about living intentionally living authentically like you just said what is the best piece of advice you have for listeners about how to live more intentionally aligned to what you're being called to create or put out into the world if they're in that struggle of just trying to waffle between actually doing it and taking action? I mean, I, again, going back to the two things that I've taken away from doing this is just try it. Just try a small piece of it. You know, whatever it is that you want to do, you don't have to jump in with both feet immediately you can dip your toe in and see how that feels see how people react and if that's something that you care about you know if it's singing that you want to do go to a karaoke night and just sing something silly see how that feels if you want to be a writer start with a small article and see how that feels there's a lot of pressure on these things that if you're gonna do it you better do it right you better do it with all of your free time and energy, but it's not true. You can dabble. That's totally fine. And if you find that it's something that you love, then you can slowly or not so slowly, just depending on how you want to do it, start introducing more and more and more. And then eventually you'll find yourself calling yourself a comedian or calling yourself a singer, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like unless you start dabbling, you have to start somewhere. And you can really get paralysis by over analysis by just thinking, like you said, it has to be perfect. And you have to do it completely all out the first time instead of just trying to dip your toe in and see if it's something you even enjoy or not. 
So I love that that's what you said and how you essentially started with your comedic pursuits. And now it's like a real passion and joy in your life too. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many other projects I started and not finished. And that's okay. Like at the time, and this was when I was a little bit younger, I would be really hard on myself for doing that, for starting a short story and then getting bored and watching it. But that's, again, another piece of living your authentic life is not worrying about it so much. Be kind to yourself is another thing. Just be kind to yourself and allow yourself the freedom to try things and drop them. Heck yeah, I love it. So as we kind of wrap things up, I would love to get your last thoughts on what you're most grateful for today and what you've accomplished, who you've become, the journey along the way, and how you feel gratitude towards that. I feel really grateful for the opportunities that I have been afforded. I've had a a lot of experiences over the last year, over the last couple of years, living here in this city and working the, the day job that I have and also the night job of comedy. I think that I've just been allowed the opportunity to pursue multiple avenues of happiness. I think that before, this idea of having it all to some people meant only being a mom, being a working mom. While that is a way to have it all, I'm not going to say it's not, it's not the only way to have it all. I think pursuing multiple avenues of happiness, however that looks to you in your life, is having it all. And currently, I feel like I have that. So that's something that I definitely am I'm grateful for at this time. That's a great place to be. Yeah. It's a long time to get here, but I'm here. <laughs> I know it's an up and down journey. But once you're there, like, man, it's fucking good. Yeah, definitely. It takes a lot of work. Yeah, no, it's true. I've been always of the mindset, nothing worth having happens overnight. But you still like you said, have to dip your toe in, see if you like something to see if it's something you even want instead of climbing all the way up that ladder, thinking it's the right thing, but never really knowing until you're in the thick of it. And time has gone by. So like you said, you can drop things like stories that you were talking about. I definitely have dropped creative projects. But at the same time, if we hadn't been checking in with ourselves throughout that creative process, then we would also be feeling like you finally aren't in the place you want to be either because you're sticking to something for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I think it's really important not to get tunnel vision no matter what it is that you're working towards. Totally. Well, last question I have is where can people find you? Also, where can they come and see your comedy live in Seattle and the Washington area and hopefully soon to be outside of Washington as well? Yeah, so I perform quite frequently at Club Comedy on 15th in Capitol Hill. So I'm there every Wednesday. I do the open mic. It's a really good open mic, $2, but you get that back in your bar tab. So that's pretty much free. And then occasionally I'll do a weekend show there too. Jai Jai is another place in Capitol Hill that I go to quite often. Check that out. And then in terms of where you can find me right now, I am on Instagram. That's probably the best place to see me and what I'm up to. My YouTube channel is on there as well. Find it at Billy. I'll be sure to include all the links to your social in the show notes as well. So people can check you out and hopefully uh, reach out and come see you for themselves live. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I always like to meet new people after shows. So uh, come, come chat. Awesome. 
Well, I really appreciate your time tonight. This was great. And I think you just bring such a different perspective from the guests that have been on the show so far and just pursuing your passion really regularly, weekly. Once you started, you just went full force. And I was lucky enough to be at a couple of your first shows and see the transformation. And I definitely need to come out to another show very soon. Yeah, yeah, I I had a good time. And I appreciate you inviting me here to be a guest. I'm excited to hopefully have you back as your reputation grows and more and more people around the country know about you too. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely always available for that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bree. And thank you guys all for tuning in to the Unapologetically Alive podcast. Stay tuned in the next two weeks for another solo show. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Unapologetically Alive podcast. Did you enjoy this show? If so, subscribe and share it with your friends and leave a review on iTunes. For more great resources to help you start living more boldly that Tonya only shares an email, head over to tonyanolan.com and subscribe for email updates. Until next time, be bold, break the mold, and keep on being unapologetically you.